Welcome to the War from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, today we'll be presenting an episode of the Screen Guild Theater. Uh, this is an adaptation of the British film, The First of the Few, which in the United States was known simply as Spitfire. It starred Leslie Howard who did not appear in this program because he he was shot down in the Nazi attack on British Overseas Airways Corporation Flight 777 uh, in uh, June of 1943. This program originally aired on August 9th of 1943. Ironically enough, with Spitfire's focus on an aviation pioneer, that was actually Leslie Howard's last role. Taking over the role of R.J. Mitchell in this radio adaptation was Basil Rathbone. Rathbone was best known for playing Sherlock Holmes, but he was a very versatile actor. And uh, he actually uh, returned uh, after the 1930s film and the early uh, show. Really, it was an effort to bolster the war effort by creating a positive... Uh, British media image. Rathbone had actually served in the First World War, having been awarded the Military Cross. Unlike other British actors with long U.S. careers, Rathbone never renounced his citizenship in the U.K. to become an American. This was just another one of his great war efforts and another opportunity just to uh, enjoy uh, how much more Rathbone could do other than just Sherlock Holmes? With that said, here now is the Screen Guild uh, Theater presentation of Spitfire from August 9th of 1943. Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild Players. Screen Guild play tonight, Spitfire, the starring players. This is Basil Rathbone. This is Heather Angel. And this is Reginald Gardner. <laughs> tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in Spitfire the last film to be made by Leslie Howard. It stars Basil Rathbone as R.J. Mitchell, Heather Angel as his wife Diana, and Reginald Gardner as Flight Commander Jeffrey Crisp. Winston Churchill said, Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. Our play tonight is based on the life of the first of those few. R.J. Mitchell, the designer of the Spitfire fighter plane, which enabled a comparative handful of English boys to repel the Nazi hordes during the terrible blitzes of 1940. Our story begins outside a fighter squadron dispersal hut 
where Flight Commander Jeffrey Crisp, R.J. Mitchell's lifelong friend and test pilot, is telling his flyers about the plane they fly and Mitch, the man who brought it into being. Two years after his plane had won the Schneider Cup trophy for England permanently, Mitch seemed unable to interest himself in anything but his garden. You see, boys, there were no more races to win, no more record-breaking planes to build, and Mitch himself was tired, worn out by the constant battle he had fought to get his ideas across. So Mitch's wife, Diana, and I conspired to take him on a holiday in Germany. There at the Richthofen Club in Berlin, Mitch found a new purpose in life. We will drink the health of our honored guests. Herr Mitchell's name and work are well known in our country, and Herr Crisp, whom we already met in the last war, is a pilot of great distinction. Uh, thank you very much. And my wife and Mr. Crisp say thank you, too. I'd heard a lot about what you were doing in Germany, and I must say I'm very impressed by what I've seen. Healthy, well-organized youth, peace-loving people, good company. Thanks very much. Uh, Herr Mitchell, you must meet a competitor of yours. Competitor? Yes, Dr. Paul Messerschmidt. Oh, how do you do? You enjoy your stay in Germany? Very much indeed, thank you. We've only been here a week, but um, we're looking forward to another five. If I can help you to see anything special, Herr Mitchell. Oh, thanks. I, uh, I've already visited one of your gliding clubs. Gliders? <laughs> oh, yeah, but uh, they have their uses. You think we make only gliders, but why? <laughs> I, I don't want to be tactless, but... Uh... The Versailles Treaty? Well, I suppose so, yes. The Versailles Treaty is dead. Oh, I see. But, uh, well, rather, I, I don't think I do. Oh, it's quite simple, Mitch. The Versailles Treaty is dead. It is history, and like history, it is all over. What is important is what you do in the future. The same with other historical events. They are past. We look to the future and Adolf Hitler. Adolf who? Hitler. Oh, oh. Well, uh, all that's very interesting, but of course, it's just your point of view. One day it will be yours, because here now, Mr. Chris, we are preparing to make history. Well, what's wrong with history the way it is? We Germans have had enough of being underdogs. Under Hitler, we shall be overlords. Now, uh, wait a minute. Being, being an overlord means somebody else being an underdog. And supposing the underdogs don't like it any more than you do, what happens then? Then, believe me, there will be no long arguments because of the guns in the hands of the German people. United behind Hitler. Guns always have the last word. So if our leader Hitler has the first word and our guns have the last word, it does not matter in the least what anyone else says in between. But suppose other people have guns. We shall have more guns, more tanks, more planes. Planes? With engines, I suppose. Oh, yes, with engines. 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. We shall have them. Oh, why stop at 20,000, old boy? We won't stop. There's the planes that will carry us into the future with the roar of engines, the bursting of bombs. Our destiny will be fulfilled. One city can be erased in a few hours. But you need not be afraid, Herr Mitchell. This is not against England. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, you see, uh, England is helping us, lending us the money to accomplish this. Richard, why did we have to leave the Richthofen Club so early? It was such fun. Diana, dear, I've got to get back to England immediately. Back to England? 
But we've got five more weeks here. <sighs> Not after tonight, darling. Mitch is right, Diana. The silly blasted fools are going to do it all over again. Oh, let's forget about it. We're here to have a good time. No, dear. I've got to get back at once, tomorrow. I'm sorry I ever suggested coming to Germany, Mitch. I'm not, Jeff. I'm glad. Now I have a job to do again. A real job. More important than anything I've ever dreamt of before. And more urgent. I'll never forget what they said. Never. 20,000 planes bombing their way into the future. And guns have the last word. They meant it, too. My dear Mitchell, I know only too well how right you are, but Vickers is an armament firm. We've only got to open our mouths about this and we'll be attacked on all sides, accused of creating a war scare to line our own pockets. But, Sir Ian, we can't leave England defenseless against Germany's future strength. Well, what do you propose, Mitchell? I want to build a fighter, the fastest and the most deadly fighting airplane in the world. Well, Mitchell, you're right. I'm behind you and unofficially Vickers will back you to the limit. fellows, that was when Mitch's real heartaches began. England was wallowing in a dismal swamp of unemployment and no member of the government would approve the expenditures necessary to build Mitch's plane. Then the engine genius, you boys all know him, Royce, agreed to build the engine for Mitch and take his chance on getting paid and Mitch went to work at his drawing board. All through the summer of 1934 and into the winter of 1935, Mitch worked night and day, but he couldn't get what he wanted on the board. Then one night about ten, when I was sitting in the crooked billet pub near Mitch's office, his secretary, Miss Harper, came looking for me. Mr. Crisp. What? Oh, hello. What are you doing here in this den of iniquity? I've come to see you about Mr. Mitchell. Mitch? Oh, oh, sit down. Thank you. You look tired. As a matter of fact, I am. Never worked so hard in my life. Mr. Mitchell starts early and never stops. I do get some time off, but I'm worried about him. <laughs> you needn't worry about Mitch. No man can go on working like he is, and in such a state of tension. But Mitch is an artist. The work he's doing is original, creative work. He's always tied up in knots when he's working on a new plane. But this is more serious than that. He really is overworking. If you're a friend of his, you should speak to him. Force him to have a rest. Oh, all right. First thing tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Tonight. It's past ten. He's still at the office. Well, then let's go take him home. Hello, Diana. We brought your wandering husband home. Thank you, Jeff. How are you, Miss Harper? Fine, thanks. Oh, you shouldn't have set up, Diana. I like to. I've been keeping some soup hot for you. Uh -huh. Sounds good. I'll get it. Let me help you. I don't know what I'd do without her, Jeff. I'd be quite lost. Well, I bet you would. A wife and a home. Sounds prosaic, doesn't it? And yet what a difference it makes to a man. Uh, Mitch. Yes, old boy? You've been working too hard. Can't you ease up for a bit? No, Jeff, I can't. I'd be worse if I stopped. It isn't working long hours that's tiring. It's because what I want is just out of reach. Like uh, stretching for something you can't quite touch? Exactly. I'll get it. But what I want isn't easy to get. This plane's got to do 400 miles an hour, turn on a sixpence, climb 10,000 feet in seconds, dive at 600 without the wings coming off, carry eight machine guns. Eight guns? That's right, eight guns. And Jeff... All this came from a picnic on the cliffs. 
Remember, Richard, watching those birds? Yes, dear. But it's not a bird I'm creating, or at least it's a curious sort of bird. Uh, a bird that breathes fire and spits out death and destruction. That's it, that's it. A, a spitfire bird. Ah, funny how things work out, isn't it? Here, eat your soup. All right, dear. I think Miss Harper and I better be running along now, don't you, Miss Harper? Yes, it's getting late. Uh, take it a little easier, Mitch. Don't overdo it. Well, as a matter of fact, I, I may not go to the office tomorrow morning. Good. Then you can sleep late and maybe make up a little for all you've missed. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid I can't do that. Why not? Well, I, I, I've got to go into London to uh, get some instruments, and I, well, I, I can't take the whole day off. But uh, one day... No, Mitch. I'm sorry, old boy. However fast I work, I still may not have any time to spare. I'll uh, get the instruments and be in the office by noon. I suppose you know something of the trouble, Mr. Mitchell, or you wouldn't have come to me. Oh, yes, yes, I, I had an idea of it. I'm afraid you're a rather sick man. I had an idea of that, too. I want you to do something about it for me. It's more in your hands than mine, Mr. Mitchell. How do you mean? You've been overdoing it. Oh, a bit. More than a bit, and that must stop. You, uh, you mean less work? I mean no work. A holiday. A year at least. Go away somewhere by the sea. Plenty of sun. Plenty of fresh air and complete rest. If you do that, there's no reason why you shouldn't carry on for years. And if I don't do that? Perhaps a year. Perhaps less? Perhaps six or eight months. Eight months? It's up to you now, Mr. Mitchell. You know what to do. Yes. I know what to do. England needs my spitfire. What? Oh, nothing, Doctor. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Miss Ian? Yes, where the devil have you been? We've been chasing all over the place for you. Well, I... <clears throat> I took the morning off, sir. Uh, something wrong? Yes and no. You've stirred up a hornet's nest in the air ministry. They've really got cracking now. They've passed the designs of your Spitfire, all like it enormously. But... Yes? The new plane has to be ready in 12 months, because that's all the time they can give you. I'll be ready in eight months, because that's all the time I can give them. Act One of Spitfire, starring Reginald Gardner, Heather Angel, and Basil Rathbone. Before we hear Act Two, a word from our hostess, Lady Esther. You know, poets are fond of comparing a lovely woman to a flower. And it's really more than just a romantic idea. For the summer sun, which brings the flowers to their brightest bloom, also brings richer, more vivid tones to a woman's skin. You know, a winter shade of powder can steal away the richer coloring of your summertime complexion can make you look colorless and older. But you can make such an exciting improvement in your appearance just by changing to a shade of face powder that emphasizes the new vibrant beauty your skin has right now. Thousands of women have written me that the lively, rich shades of Lady Esther face powder are unusually flattering to their summertime coloring. They say my shades bring out the new depth and warmth of their skin better than any powder they've ever used that my shades are so unusual and different. Well, my shades are different. 
because my powder's made a different way. It's twice refined, twice blended. First it's just mixed, until the texture is the same as most other face powders. But that's only the first step in making Lady Esther face powder. For at that point, I take my powder through my exclusive second process, my patented twin hurricane process, which blows color and powder particles together. Yes, blows them with the speed of hurricanes into a finer texture and more vibrant shades than ever made by any ordinary methods. I'd just like you to see how much lovelier you look when you use my powder in a shade that is perfect for you. So I'll send you all nine shades of my powder at my expense. Just mail me your name and address on a postcard. Send it to Lady Esther, Chicago. Remember, Lady Esther, Chicago. Now the curtain rises on the second act of Spitfire, starring Basil Rathbone as R.J. Mitchell, Reginald Gardner as Jeffrey Crisp, and Heather Angel as Diana Mitchell. Flight Commander Jeffrey Crisp continues his story of the life of R.J. Mitchell, brilliant designer of the Spitfire fighter plane. The day that Mitch's plans were approved, boys, the huge Vickers plant started to make his drawings a reality. And at a meeting of all the company's workmen, Mitch impressed upon them the importance of their work. I'm not going to make uh, a speech. I'd just like to say this. If you thought the Schneider Cup was worth winning, and I think you all did... Well, we are now about to go in for a far more important race. A race for the life of this country. But time is short. I can't impress on you enough how short it is. Every day, every hour will make a difference. I know you'll do your best. That was really the beginning of the end, boys. With work actually starting on his plane, Mitch worked harder than ever. Each day was one reluctantly subtracted from his fleeting eight months. And rare was the dawn that found him not still at his drawing desk. And his condition grew rapidly worse. Until one morning he could no longer conceal it from his wife, Diana. Just getting in, Richard. It's 5.30. Oh, I'm sorry, dearest. I had to make detailed drawings of the oil feed system for the boys. I thought I might as well get it done while I was at it. <laughs> Save two or three days. Darling. Uh, Let's stop pretending. You're not just tired, overworked. You've been that before, lots of times. And, well, it isn't as if you were old. But you're just dragging through each day. Oh, now, Diane. Darling, there's something, something more, something the matter. You're not well. I'm sure you're not well. Oh, well, I'm, I'm not as fit as I have been. Will you do me a favor? Of course, dear. Go and see a doctor. I have. When? The day I went to London and told you that I'd been to see about some instruments. What did he say? Oh, he just wanted me to take a holiday. What did you say? As far as I can remember, I, I, I think I thanked him for his advice. What did he say, really? You must tell me. We're not children. Darling, 
You think the work I'm doing is important, don't you? Of course I do. I mean, really important. More important than us, for instance. What did the doctor say? That I was ill. That I wanted to rest. Yes. And if I... If I didn't take one, he wouldn't be responsible. If you don't stop working, you'll die. I have to tell you sometime. And you're deliberately killing yourself. Diana, dear, I... I'm carrying on with my work because, well, as you said, we think it's important. Of course, we may be wrong, but it's, it's what we believe, dear, and one has to live what one believes. Live? Darling, we've all got to pack up sometime. It isn't when we pack up that matters, but what we do while we're here. How long did he say, that doctor? Oh, don't worry about that. Time enough. I had a letter from Gordon yesterday. Oh, did you? Read it to me, will you? It's not very long. Darling Mum and Dad, I'm now in the second eleven. Please send me some more pocket money. Your loving son, Gordon. Oh, the dear fellow. You're sacrificing your life for something that may never happen. You can't go on like this. You can't, day and night. Supposing you should never even finish it. Look here, Diana. Let's go to Cornwall together, shall we? I'll rest and then I'll come back and finish it up in one quick spurt. Then away for a holiday. Oh, yes. Anywhere you like in the world, my dear. Shall I'm fit again. Yes, my dear. Yeah. My dear. There now, darling. There's nothing to cry about. We've decided, haven't we? Hand me the paper, will you, dear? Uh, thanks. We'll go around the world, shall we? Java, Sumatra, and Ceylon, India, and United States. Oh. What's the matter, Richard? The war in Spain. German bombers completely destroyed Guanica. Yes. No. No, I couldn't go. You do understand, don't you? Yes, darling. I understand. Mitch didn't take his holiday. Instead, he spent every waking moment driving everyone concerned with the production of the Spitfire. And he drove himself hardest of all. As a result, when it came time for the new Plains Air Ministry trials, Mitch was in a wheelchair at home. I was the test pilot that day, and Diana was there as Mitch's representative. I don't have to tell you men what the Spitfire will do, but that day it did more. When I set her down after the test, the air marshal in charge rushed up to me. Good work, Crisp. Good work. You're satisfied with the job, sir? Satisfied? Well, as a representative of the air ministry, I can't commit myself. But as an old pilot, I think it was one of the most terrific shows I've ever seen. Mitchell would have liked to hear you say that, sir. I'm sorry he isn't here. Well, here's Mrs. Mitchell. Oh, congratulations, Mrs. Mitchell. Thank you. Uh, will you thank your husband and tell him he's given England something she badly needed? That will make him very happy. And now it remains for the air ministry to make up its mind. <laughs> Any 
we'll have to wait a little longer. Yes, darling, I... I hope it'll be in time. It, uh... Hasn't been easy for you, has it? All I want now is to... Is to get you well. And then we'll go somewhere. Where there's lots of sunshine. For a long, long time. We will. Mrs. Mitchell. Yes, nurse. There's someone on the phone who'd like to speak to you. Personally. I'll be right back, Richard. Oh, no need to hurry, Diana. I'll keep him company. He's good to see you, Jeff. Hello, Mitch. Any news, Jeff, old boy? Not yet. What's the delay? What are they doing? I flew the thing. I could tell him it's all right. A miracle. But nothing happens week after week going by after all you put into it. Don't worry, Jeff, old boy. It's bound to take time. A lot of fine young people are going to risk their lives in that plane. But I flew it. Oh, you'll risk your neck in anything. But they've got to make sure the plane's safe. It'll be all right. Darling. Yes, dear? It was Sir Ian. Yeah? They're going to start building them right away. Hundreds of them. Oh, darling, darling. I know what this means to you. So you were in time after all, Mitch. Yes. But we cut it pretty fine, didn't we? You'd better go now, Mr. Crisp. Mr. Mitchell can't stand too much talking. No, right you are, nurse. Well? So long, Jeff, old boy. So long, Mitch. So long. You've been talking too much, Richard. I'm going to leave you. You're going to sleep. Diana, dear. Uh, one day soon. Yes. I want you to do something. Yes. Thank. Thank them all for me. Sir Ian, Jeff, Miss Harper, all the boys at the works. Oh, and that, that kid with the snub nose. Horace, you remember? Everyone. And my dear, you, most of all. Yes, darling. And now, sleep. Sleep. Richard. Richard. Oh, Richard. <laughs> fellows, there isn't much more to tell. Mitch died happy. But perhaps if he'd known as much about his Spitfire as we know now, he'd have died happier still. The job he did called for more courage than it takes to fight the the planes he designed. He knew the job he was doing was going to kill him, and yet he deliberately sacrificed himself for his country. I wonder how many men would have that sort of cold-blooded guts. Control calling. Control calling. 227 Squadron, come to readiness. There you are, men. Scramble. Control calling. Control calling. Yes? And it's still approaching from the east, southeast, and northeast. All available aircraft must take the air immediately. Right. Off we go. Never in the field of human conflict have so many owed so much to so few. Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, to Mr. Leslie Howard, who produced and directed the picture Spitfire, as well as playing the leading role of Mitchell, and who, as you all know, lost his life in the service of his country, we pay tribute with affectionate remembrances. They shall not grow old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. To the memory of Leslie Howard, who gave us the story, and to Basil Rathbone, Reginald Gardner, and Heather Angel, who told it, our sincere thanks. It was a great pleasure to contribute to the series of programs, Mr. Bradley. We fully appreciate that the benefits go to support the motion picture country home and clinic. And now, before we tell you about next week's program, here's a word from one of America's foremost beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Miss Angel. I wonder how many of you women listening tonight feel you always take a poor picture. Well, that's probably because your coloring, which doesn't show in a photograph, is particularly important to your good looks. And so in your case, it's especially important to find just the right shade of face powder. The shade that makes all your coloring lovelier and more vivid. I know there is just such a shade for you. Because so many women write me that the unusual shades of Lady Esther face powder bring a new, vibrant richness and depth to their skin. Well, the shades of my powder are different, because Lady Esther face powder is made by my exclusive twin hurricane process into the finest texture and truest shades you ever smoothed on your skin. Let me prove it to you at my expense. I'll send you my nine unusual shades entirely free. Just mail me your name and address. Send it to Lady Esther, Chicago. Remember, it's Lady Esther, Chicago. I'm sorry, but government regulations won't permit me to make this offer in Canada. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present The Pied Piper. It will star Roddy McDowell and Monty Woolley. Be sure to listen. Basil Rathbone appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Golden-Mayer. Heather Angel is now working in Lifeboat. Reginald Gardner can soon be seen in Claudia, both 20th Century Fox productions. Miles Mander, who portrayed Winston Churchill, is currently working in the Paramount production, Dr. Wassell. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. This presentation of Spitfire was made possible by permission of British Aviation Pictures Limited and Samuel Goldwyn, who is presenting the film starring Leslie Howard and David Niven in the United States. To help your government save tin, buy the larger size of Lady Esther face cream, and at the same time, you will save yourself money to invest in war bonds and stamps. Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther, saying thank you and good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. That will do it for today. If you uh, have a comment, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. 
Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, KenCurlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, greatdetectives.net.